Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Dan Edwards and I know we are as good as our team, and our team sometimes, well, they do things because they're brilliant, and also the surveillance team, sometimes you get lucky. We did that before December 31st when we said, Tony Cosenzi, you need to start our year, and then we enjoyed December 31st when things fell out of bed. Cosenzi's the PIMCO. He's definitive on short-term paper. Bring up the chart over here, McKinnon, if you would. This is the, I've never shown this chart before. I'm only doing this because Cosenzi showed up at an early hour. One year to two-year difference in yield, and you've got the oddities before the crisis, and then the normality of a difference in yield between a two-year and a one-year, and we fell off a cliff. Tony Cosenzi, let's start with the why of the short-term paper market. Why is the one-year, two-year yield inverted, where one-year yields are higher than two-year yields? This is a crystal ball. It's telling you about the future and what the market thinks of the Fed and what it will do with its policy rate. We know the Fed in December raised its policy rate to two and a quarter, two and a half. Right. Here the market's saying it'll go back below two at some point. Are they predicting a rate cut at some point? The market is predicting a rate cut at the beginning part of next year. So we won't be roaring into the 20s like we did 100 years ago. We'll, we could be stumbling into the 20s is what the market okay. is saying. What everybody wants to know on Global Wall Street from you is when we talk commercial paper or LIBOR OIS and the other arcane stuff that you and, and Jerome Schneider and others at PIMCO look at every day, okay, great. Is it a liquidity crisis? Is it a tension within the corporate space? Absolutely not a liquidity crisis. There's still over $1 trillion of extra money that banks could utilize to keep themselves liquid. Banks are in exceptionally good shape today. What about shadow banking? Still, many worry about it, but there's no, there aren't the excesses there that many people cite. What is concerning uh, is that we've, this all began in markets, the stress, with political factors, not macroeconomic ones. It was related to Brexit. It was related to Italy. It was related to trade stories. Now what markets have to worry about is the feedback loop where what happened in markets because of politics starts to feed back into the real economy and then back into the markets. So it's one of the major questions for this year is whether we can get past the 10th year of expansion in June, making it a record dating back to the mid-1800s, or not. Will we stumble into the 20s or roar like 100 years ago? It looks like we may stumble, but there's a lot that could happen that changes things. When there's a sense of pessimism, of course, it's an accumulation period. One should be thinking about okay. uh, building assets, but be careful, very careful about that. Okay, uh, Tony, good morning to you. So if good this morning. inversion at the, at the very short end then is telling us something kind of gloomy about where we'll be roaring or stumbling into the 20s, um, what kind of lag does this normally deliver then? When you look at the short end of the curve, what kind of lag does this kind of signal usually require? Well, it depends. Markets will tend to be correct on this, uh, but only, call, let's say, nine months would be a period where it has pristine accuracy. One looking out a year or two, not so great. Think about a year ago, markets thought the Fed would put its policy rate potentially at around 3%. Now, instead of rate hikes that would stay in place for through 2020 and even 2021, markets think there'll be a rate cut. So it shows you that looking past one year out uh, becomes a bit precarious. Uh, and so this forecast that markets have today for an interest rate cut 
may not be correct. But is it that important anyway? The global story in interest rates is quite benign. Look at the German Bund today, the 10-year, 0.15%. There are trillions of dollars, near $10 trillion of bonds globally, negative yielding. So the worry in markets today has very little to do with interest rates and the Fed's rate hikes. It has a lot to do with the other factors I mentioned. I think one final, final point of Brexit. The Bank of England said the UK economy could shrink 8% in the case of a hard Brexit. And so there are numerous other things markets are concerned about that need be resolved and before this feedback loop starts to hit the economy and markets again. Do you think the Fed should pause here, Tony? There is a very strong case for the Fed pausing at the March meeting when, is the, ne- when the next uh, rate hike potentially could occur, as many have postulated. Uh, financial conditions do matter. Uh, the transmission of monetary policy occurs through five channels. It's stock prices, <coughs> bond yields, credit spreads, the dollar, and bank lending standards. And all of these combined today suggest the U.S. Now, economy will be weaker this year than otherwise. Let's come back. Tony Cosenzi with us. Without question, our conversation of the day, I'm going to look to the terminal and tell you Tony Cosenzi's lifted the market here in the last 10 minutes. What's great about Freya Bamish with Pantheon in England is she has lived China. She's not only been there, but attempts Mandarin. Can you order a pizza in Mandarin, Freya? Are you to the point uh, where your Mandarin is so good you can order a pizza to go? Uh, I'm I'm not a fan of Chinese pizza, but um, yeah, I can order something. Okay, well, we got the... Tom, honestly, you go to Shanghai or Beijing and order pizza, really? Yeah, sure, that's what I would do. (laughs) Anyways, Freya, Freya, good morning. Are we, what is the thing you're searching in, in, in China GDP after the comments of President Xi over the last three or four days? He's made some speeches. I think they're below the radar. But what is the data thing that you're trying to observe to gauge where China is? Well, I guess the, the PMIs that we had out this morning were pretty um, unpleasant. I think the consensus was always a little bit high on that, especially we, we had the official out already. But um, in terms of... Uh, the report itself and, and the kind of breakdowns that we had there, it was telling us that the employment situation is still quite um, quite shaky. Uh, we've still got producer price inflation slowing, um, and that, that feeds through, obviously, to the, the massive industrial sector and, and is a massive deterrent on, on future uh, production. Um, the good news, I think we're all very focused at this stage on, on, the, on the bad news, and certainly I, I'm not kind of jumping on any kind of uh, good news bandwagon, but I think it is relevant at this stage to, to point out a few um, kind of good news elements from from uh, the data that we're seeing at the moment. I think, first of all, the, the, the PMI is, is probably going to trough um, above where we saw in, in 2015. So that 2015 was the last kind of, 2015, 2014 was the last kind of um, real kind of significant downturn that we had in, in China. I think we'll probably trough above that this time. The bad news is that we still have some further deterioration to go before before we get there. The leading indicators have kind of leveled off. Um, we're starting to see the kind of the, the the most advanced leading indicators are pointing towards a, a pickup um, in the second half of the year. But we still have some some further deterioration to go before then in in the PMIs and in the GDP data. Although the headlines might might not actually show that. So. We've got we've got some good news out there. We've certainly got stimulus in the pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really coming through yet at the at the um the, the overall level. 
Um, we put our kind of infrastructure. We've got our um, Xi Jinping and the, the 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 work conference that we had at the end of last year, which sets out the the um, the policy direction for for this year. Um, we had an important uh, re- revelation there that there'll be. Uh, increase in the in the quota for local government bond issuance, and that's where we get our infrastructure growth going from again. Um, and I think actually there is probably still room for a bit of a rate cut, which would probably enhance the efficacy of the of the measures that they made, the the, the targeted uh, lending facility measures that they introduced at the end of last year. Um, so there's stimulus there, right. there's stimulus potentially more coming through. And I think probably on the trade front as well, we can we can be a little bit positive in that in that sense as well. Well, let's start with the policy tools they've got available to them, and then we can talk about the trade negotiations. You yep. mentioned the slowdown in fourteen fifteen that bled into sixteen as well. That slowdown yep. was accompanied with some real policy shocks, and one of them was around the currency. Freya, do you see the stage set for something similar again, or is it very different this time? I think. Um, I think there's enough time for the the PBOC to get a little bit scared in the first half um, that that things are not turning around. I think, as I said, the stimulus is actually in the pipeline, but the the lag seems to be um, a little bit longer this time around than previously, and that leaves the the PBOC and policymakers in the position of of having to kind of sit on their hands and wait until um, the stimulus comes through, and I'm not sure that they'll be willing to do that. So I think we will probably see uh, a rate cut or something that is effectively like a rate cut it might not be an actual um, publicized rate cut but there'll be something um, that will that will help to loosen monetary conditions further um, and that that obviously exerts a downward pressure on the renminbi B but we are in a change situation here with with regards to the Fed um, it's looking it's not looking likely anymore that they'll they'll hike in in March and that gives the PBOC a little bit more um, room there um, and also as I said when we get to talk about the the, the trade deal uh, that will Will release a little bit of, of pressure of, of depreciation pressure from the from the renminbi so it gives them a little bit more room there uh, but but i think there's there's definitely the potential for the pboc to kind of yeah. surprise markets with it with a bit more of a, of a stimulus so Frey, you brought up trade so let's talk about it it's clear to me that there's an incentive for president xi jinping to come to the table and try and strike a deal with the president of the united states donald trump Frey, what's not clear to me is the concessions that president xi is willing to make what are those concessions well, the 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 um, in the policy setting meeting that we had at the end of of last year, um, you don't get a lot of detail in that kind of a of a readout. But there was one sentence um, which said that they were going to prioritise the, the the agreement, reaching the agreement um, and implementing the the agreement that was made at the G20 meeting in in November. So that's a good sign to start with, at least rhetorically. Um, but the, they've also made moves in the direction of cutting tariffs. They've restarted, or they've kind of signalled that they're about to restart. Um, imports from from the US which they actually have pulled back on very yeah. sharply in in the second half um, and also they've, they've well, critically made made kind of rumblings in the right direction with regard to the forced uh, technology transfer I, I like in your research note your knock-on effect of South Korea as well what are the adjacency effects of this supposed slowdown in China yeah, I think we've seen it. Um, we often see it actually first in in some of the the Korean data because Korea's okay. um, sitting at the at the head of the of the the supply chain, and they also happen to publish very early in the in the kind of the, the data calendar. So 
definitely we've seen um, a slowdown in, in Korean export volumes. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of noise there because of changing yeah. holidays and that, and that kind of thing. But the, the overall trend is, is one of, of weakness from, from Korea. Yeah. We're starting to see that feed through to, to Japan as well. Um, so we're, we're, there's, there's definitely yeah. the evidence there that these, these economies are struggling as a result of, of China's slowdown. Well, Freya, have a great new year, and we really, really look forward to uh, catching up with you in Shanghai at DeMarco Pizza, 1F Golden Bridge Garden. Oh, you're selling it. 103 Dong What's, what's the highlight on the menu? Uh, I didn't ask, but it's... There's many. I, there's a lot of pizza places in Shanghai. Yeah, know that. I, I really should do Shanghai with you. It sounds like we you should. have a, a really different experience over there. It, it's a different experience uh, to what many other people would experience. <clears throat> that would be there. true. true. Freya Beamish, thank you so much uh, with Pantheon on China. Serious news there, out of China. Joining us now, Dana Peterson with Citigroup, their North American uh, economist. Dana, if I look at the Citigroup call, have you people amended or adjusted your outlook for next year in the last two or three days? No, we haven't. We still expect that the Fed is going to be raising rates uh, at least a couple of times this year, potentially in March. And certainly the impasse uh, in the federal government is is not going to be a major determining factor in the Fed delaying any of its uh, activities for this year. Will tightening financial conditions be a big factor? Well, I mean, financial conditions have tightened a little bit, but they're still uh, quite loose. But I'm certain that the Fed is going to be watching that along with all the other uh, economic indicators it pays attention to when it's doing its uh, monetary policy calculus. Well, at the moment, the OBERT, the only economic indicators that continue to surpass economic expectations of the economists are the labor market and the household sector. Everything else is deeply negative and disappointing, Danny. Do you see that turning around anytime soon? Well, I mean, when I look at uh, certainly the fourth quarter, uh, the economy still grew pretty robustly in the 25 to 3% range. Um, yeah, some of the most recent economic indicators have been a little bit weak, but you know, the Fed is looking at uh, inflation. The Fed is looking at um, certainly the labor market and also you know overall GDP. And, and still on most of those fronts, uh, we're, we're doing well. I mean, we will we do anticipate some weakening of inflation, certainly because oil prices are, are falling and also you have some other underlying factors. And certainly that might cause the Fed to consider fewer hikes this year. As you perceive it as an economist, are the market, this has been my theme for this morning, I don't hate to bore people, but do you see markets as rational and normal with their new volatility or are there discontinuities here that get your attention? Sure. I think, uh, you know, the different markets are, be, are reacting for different reasons. Uh, certainly, you know, the bond market is concerned about the, the yield curve uh, flattening um, and what signals that gives us. I would suggest that maybe this time is a little bit different. We haven't had QE in the past uh, kind of muddling the, the, the signals from the yield curve, but certainly the equity market has been very weak. Um, I think some of that's just a little bit of a steam coming out, but also uh, concerns about the global economy as well as right. uh, the trade dispute. So then what do you see within your North American purview of Y equals C plus I plus G plus net X? I mean, is this all about the trade war or are there investment and consumption dynamics that are leading to these instabilities? 
Sure, I think consumption is still being supercharged by the tax reform, but we are concerned about investment. Indeed, with the equity market weakening, yeah. that's certainly the signal for our investors. And certainly with respect to CapEx, you know, the businesses are not going to have another big uh, injection from tax reform this year, and you still have concerns about trade. Yeah, I, I guess, Dana, with one final question then today, you say you haven't changed the Citigroup view. What is your view on Fed calls? Because what we're hearing from guest after guest is a January 30 meeting has very suddenly become important. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've, we've always had a March uh, hike. And we yeah. did not have a hike in, in January, but certainly January is going to be important for how the Fed uh, sees the economy, whether they're overly, uh, rather more concerned about weakening inflation, if they're more concerned about weakening in China, and certainly the trade outlook for the U.S. And so I definitely think that's going to be a very well, important meeting that we should be looking at. Dana, thank you so much. Dana Peterson with Citigroup. Um, we have been remiss, and it's importantly uh, been remiss, with the sobering idea, Pim Fox, of how wrong so many got the transformation in Brazil when Mr. Lula came on board. It was I say this in every speech I ever give. It was one of the great missed calls I made. I was incredibly wrong about the Brazilian economy, their resiliency under political change. And he, Pim, here we are again. With more political change yeah, in here we are Brazil. Again. I'm with sober a new government. right now. All right. Yeah. Bring in, uh, Pim, I'll let you bring in. All Mr. right. Well, th- this all has to do, of course, with the new government of uh, Mr. Bolsonaro, President Bolsonaro, uh, taking office in the inauguration. And he's set to announce a variety of economic measures, uh, the design, cut red tape, and also fight retirement benefit fraud while leaving pension reform for later on. Here to tell us about what's going on in the country, Oscar Decotelli, uh, chief executive of DXA Investment. Oscar Decotelli, tell us a little bit about President Bolsonaro and what you believe his agenda includes. Hi, Pam. Hi, Tom. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to talk to me. I think uh, we're starting off a new year, uh, a new administration. The Bolsonaro government brings definitely a mentality of trying to reduce the size of the government uh, with uh, 22 ministries only, with a mentality also of trying to reduce the whole corruption around the government, what we've seen in these last years but also trying to bring a new agenda of bringing growth back to the country. And I think uh, uh, for all of us here, we're quite hopeful that this is going to become a reality. But there are definitely some challenges to, to face in the next 100 days. Right? What are some of the specific measures that the government needs to get right and get right quickly? Yeah, sure. I think the first thing is that about 90% of the government expenditure are uh, defined by the Constitution. And for that matter, there's not a lot of room to be able to change unless you go through uh, a uh, a very kind of a bureaucratic process of voting through the Congress and the Senate. So what I think we're going to be able to see in the short term are the new propositions for the Social Security reform and definitely a privatization agenda, trying to reduce the government debt by selling some of these yeah. more kind of uh, uh, assets that the government owns. How will the elites react to this president as compared to how they reacted to Mr. Lula a lifetime ago? 
Uh, Tom, it's a great point. I think it's quite different in 2002 when we saw Lula coming on, coming on board. The elite was very negative on the country, thinking that it would be kind of a big problem for the country. And at the end of the day, Lula became really a president that helped out, especially around those years, uh, for the country to grow. I think this time around is a little bit different. Uh, we're seeing the elite uh, very positive with a more of a right-wing uh, mentality government. And definitely the fact that he's bringing on board as ministers uh, very technical guys that have very strong uh, private sector success. I think this has been uh, probably the, the government that people have been giving a lot more hope that we've seen in this last uh, decades. Now, he just raised the minimum wage, correct? Correct, yeah. So it was uh, already expected to see that. Uh, the former president, Tamer, was going to uh, release that, but uh, it was uh, uh, released immediately after. Not, not, not big news, this already kind of expected. Will this help the domestic economy at all, or are people more concerned about corruption and crime? Uh, definitely this was an election about corruption and crime. Uh, we didn't see, I always say that uh, Bolsonaro uh, came as uh, a representative of a cleaner government, not necessarily with a lot of their, his propositions. We're now seeing the propositions coming on board, uh, and uh, so far they've seemed positive. But I think this was much more of an election of discussing, I'm not wanting the old corruption scheme yeah. of, of the old politics. Go ahead, Tom. What's the opportunity uh, here? I mean, for global investors, we look at Real, we have, I think, a highly simplistic view but what is the domestic opportunity for international investors within this new Brazil? I think it's a it's a great question because Brazil, if you add exports and imports, so we don't even come up to twenty percent of the GDP. So really, eighty percent of the story it's of domestic. Brazil is about yeah. domestic, yeah. Stores, yeah. right? We've seen some of the stocks and some of the uh, of the stories that are related to consumption going very well in these last year. I think we're going to be able to see more of that. We see consumption related, we see healthcare related, education. I think we will be able to see now that the, there's a lot of slack in the economy with a very high uh, unemployment rate. We're going to be able to see some of these domestic stories coming on board. And I think that the the wise investor will be able to select if he's going to go to public. Uh, there's some very kind of low PE multiples uh, that are still kind of applying here in the market that you'll be able to buy them. Um, I'm more of a private equity guy, as you guys know. Yeah. So I think there's some uh, very kind of uh, uh, multi-year, possibly decade trends that are going to happen here that are quasi-no-brainers uh, for us. Can you give us one example? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I've invested in a logistics company. Just to give you an idea, Amazon Prime is not present in Brazil. So in a country which is the fifth largest population in the world, fifth largest uh, uh, territory, we don't uh, have just some time in logistics. There's no really delivery kind of of. of okay, that, so uh, well, Amazon let's break has. some news here. Are you suggesting to Mr. Bezos, who listens religiously, are you suggesting to Mr. Bezos that he needs to come to Brazil? Yeah, definitely. I think Mrs. Bezos will have a very hard time uh, coming to Brazil without having a strategic uh, logistics plan because differently than the other countries, the logistics is not present here. Only 14% of the roads are paved here. So you need to have a different mindset of simply kind of a building up a uh, a express uh, company on top of a UPS or FedEx structure. There's none here. So this means that uh, if Tom wants to get away from all the Amazon boxes, he can go and find Brazilian boxes in Brazil, but not Amazon boxes. (laughs) 
Yeah, but even the Brazilian boxes are very hard to get. You have a lot of regional players. You don't still have a national solution. So we ended up investing in a company yeah. that was the first one to, to use airlines, for instance. So Can you tell the us the name of the company? company? It's called Modern Logistics. Uh, was founded by a former VP of JetBlue that founded Azul in Brazil, uh, yeah. Gerald Lee. We've interviewed him. Yeah, interesting. Well, I'm going to leave yeah. it there. Oscar DiCatelli, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it with DXA, a, a window into uh, Brazil. And again, I, you know, I, I'll say this a million times. You remember where you were wrong so much more than the little victories. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.